only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. Hello, hello. Yo. Hey. Yo, what up? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little tired, uh, but just enjoying my Sunday. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah. The uh, the uh, guy I was working with before, he, he just went MIA for like two weeks, and he wasn't returning my calls. I messaged him on Facebook, and I would email him, "Hey, man, you all right? You all right?" Because I had seen him posting stuff on Instagram about suicide. And so oh, Friday I texted Yeah, so Friday I texted him and I was like, Look, man, like I shared, you know, some real personal stuff with you and it's not cool for you to not be communicating with me. I hope you're all right, but this is not okay. Please don't do anything with my right. story. And he was like, You're right, I'm I'm real sorry, I'm going through a lot of home right now. I guess he has a fiance or something or some shit like that. But uh, uh <laughs> what not says but but it all it all revolves around <laughs> drugs, fame, and shorties. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, shit is shit is like that for a lot of these cats, man. Yeah, but yeah, he's actually like, a good dude. I mean, like I was, I, cause like I knew, or like I know he's kind of hurting for money, and I was afraid he would he would do something with what I told him, cause like it was it was like a lot of juicy stuff. It was like real good, you know, stuff, but um. I was scared he was going to do something with it and try and get published somewhere without my permission. But um, mm-hmm. I hope he doesn't do that. But yeah, so um, that just means the impetus is on you to get your story out, get it right, and get it in a format that is sellable. Yeah, yeah. So I have no experience with uh, 
autobiographies or whatever. But what we had done and my idea was to just kind of start, like, you know how in movies they start with a real fucked up uh, situation and they go back. The media res. And they say, or basically it's like, how did you get to this point? You know, and so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, I was at a real fucked up point uh, in early, early March. Um, so uh, I found myself uh, in a situation. Um, I was by the Broadway Bridge here in Portland, and that's that's basically, um, there's like a lot of drugs going bridge. on there. The uh, Broadway Bridge, yeah. Okay. And um, people, they do a lot of drugs over there, you know, and, and some people, that's where they go to die. Like, they'll, they'll load up, mm-hmm. you know, a shot that is too much of something, you know, just because, you know, they don't, they don't want to deal anymore. So um, I was over there um, do, doing stuff. Um, I had a... I had just taken, um, let's see, a goofball, which is a shot of um, of meth and heroin, and it was a big one. It was a big, big shot. So I was, I, I was fucked up. Like I could, I could feel the meth, but I was nodding out, like something, something serious. And I had been hanging out with this dude named Damien for the past uh, three days, and and uh, basically, all of a sudden, I, I, I feel something hit my head really really hard and, and it was a hard object you know and uh i i fell over to the ground and i look up and this dude has a metal baseball bat and he's like give me the keys to your car you know and um i was i was way out of it you know way out of it and uh you know and i'm i'm thinking like this this car you know i'm i'm fucked up right now but this car is is, is literally all i have really right now like i like i might as well die if i give this up and so uh i stood up and um i tried to run away and and there was a dude to his right that tried to cut me off and so i ran another way his wife tried to cut you off no this this dude like he had a he had a friend to the right Oh, who, uh, right to, to the yeah. right. I thought you said his wife. Oh, okay. All right. No, and uh, he tried to cut me off, and so I cut left, you know, and I ran as best I could. It's it's all kind of a haze right now, and um, it's it's down there by the Greyhound station, and and like you, yeah, you know what happens by the Greyhound station, right? Yeah, and, and so um, I went in there, you know, to to try and be safe, and there was a a security guard. And, he was African and I told him what happened to him. I said, Hey, these guys are trying to kill me. And he said, I don't care. Get out. And I was like, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so, um, I'm, I'm probably concussed at that point and I'm, and I see Damien, he's got more guys with him. I see him running around or whatever, whatever, trying to try to scope me out. And, um, I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And, and so I was so fucked up. Um, there was there was a car in the Greyhound parking lot that had that had the same uh, color paint job as mine. Um, I spent mm-hmm. a good um, half hour um, trying to get into it with my car keys, right? Jesus. And, yeah. Yeah, and and so then uh, someone someone called the cops, and these two cops show up, and I'm just I'm, I'm done, you know, I'm 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 fucked up. Like I I had been like. Um, 
I had to get down on one knee a couple times. Like I thought I was going to pass out. Like, like I had a lot of shit in my system, you know, but the heroin was, was kicking my ass. And if, if not for the meth, I probably would have died. I'm not sure. But, um, and they're like, what are you doing? And, and they hit me with the flashlight. Well, like they didn't hit me literally, but like they, they flashed me with, yeah. with the flashlight. Yeah, flash and, yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, you know, here I am, you know, a black man in Portland, fucked up on all kinds of drugs. Yep. They could they could kill me, you know, and nothing would happen. Like they'd have they'd have all the alibis right. in the world because you know I was out I, I, I was in a bunch of shit, and um, so they're like, where'd you take? Where'd you take? And like I didn't want to tell them, you know, like I didn't I didn't have anything on me, and and they're like, did you take heroin? Did you take meth? Did you take crack? And I didn't I didn't I didn't tell them. Uh, didn't all tell of them. the above. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was it was all of the above, and uh, um, they they sat there with me for a good 20 minutes and they called the ambulance and that took me to the hospital and uh the nurses in the hospital they're like what'd you take what'd you take and i just told them everything you know fucking uh soft hard mess heroin everything that day um and uh yeah yeah and so i i I had been hanging out with, with damien for for three days and like the way that it went down was like it was it was a Wednesday, and um, I had been living out on a on a Salvi's Island because Faye had kicked me out because she said she couldn't be with me when I was actively drinking and using. And I was I was sober here and there, and I would go for a bit, you know. But um, that Wednesday, I was I was supposed to hang out with Faye, and uh, I came over here, and one of her neighbors, uh, two floors down, um, they use right, and and so one. The girl, um, she was locked out of her apartment. Like, I guess her boyfriend had, had taken off the floor for a job and told her he, he wasn't coming back or something like that. And she, and she was locked out mm-hmm. of the crib. And, and could she come in and da 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 And um, Faye, so, like, the way I had it worked out was, like, I was I was here at like, at, like, 11 probably. And as an alcoholic, like, you figure out ways to, to hide your drinking. And so if she's not going to be home, until you know five thirty or six, that means I can have a half a pint of some hard liquor, and maybe two tall boys. And if I really really push it, I can I I can have a whole pint and have her not smell it. But I have to drink it real fast, you know. And so yeah. Anyways, I was I was already drunk when this girl needed help, and um, she's like, "Well, do you want to do a line of meth?" And I was drunk, so I was oh, like, geez. "Why not?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I fucking right. I did a line right. of mess, and then um, you know, like the girl gets the cops to get her in in the apartment or, or whatever. And I guess this girl had called Faye asking her for help, and Faye, she's like, like she knows me really well, and she knows the neighbors downstairs. They're they're real fucked up, and she's like, well, he probably shouldn't be alone with those people around knowing them. But I was already drunk and I already done drugs, so. Um, she come home. Uh, she comes home early from lunch, and she's like, "You seem weird. You seem off." And uh, I, I was, I was, I was drunk, and uh, I was, I was high. She's like, "You need to leave, right?" And um, I couldn't go home or, or, or where I was living because I was living with a guy I had met in AA, and I knew he was home. And if I came home loaded, that is right. over, and, and I couldn't think of where to go. So I was like, "Well, I got some money." Might as well go downtown, hit the Greyhound, see what's popping. And uh, I met this dude named uh, Damien. And um, over a course 
of uh, three days, um, my laptop got stolen. Um, my phone got stolen. And um, that Friday, he tried to rob me from my car. So, uh, yeah, but, like, I was I was so fucked up the whole time. Like, it wasn't until that Friday I realized, you know, everything he had done, you know. And, um, yeah, so over those three days, you know, uh, heroin, crack, uh, soft, whatever, you know. And, um, yeah, so after that Friday, um, I like, I was I was in the hospital. I, I woke up and I knew my car, or I, I remember where it was, like, I'd I knew it was somewhere dangerous, you know, and, and people might, might break into it. And so um, I told the hospital I wanted to leave, and they said, your heartbeat is still irregular. You know, like, if you leave, you have to sign this thing. If you die, like, we're not liable. Right. And I was if like, you die, oh. we're not liable. But... Right, right, right. So I went, and I got my car, and I knew Jim wasn't home. That's, that's the guy who um, was renting me the room. Oh. And, I, and I didn't mm-hmm. have a phone, and I thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to have anything, like I don't have a laptop, blah, 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 but I have a PlayStation 4, so I can go sell that and uh, and, and go and get a phone. So I went and I sold it for like 160 bucks, got a cheap little phone, and um, the first thing I did like every day in those periods when I'm like drinking and using is like I usually have a drink just to calm my nerves or whatever. And so I was, I was drunk and I saw these two kids who looked kind of dirty and grungy, and I was like, huh. I bet they know where some where some shit is. And so I asked them, hey, man, like, do you guys know where some brown is? And they were like, yeah, you know. And um, so I gave them a ride, you know, uh, got some heroin and drove to the uh, Trader Joe's. And there's a bridge over there where, like, it's like a little, like, homeless camp where people just go to shoot up and, and, uh, and smoke their dope or whatever. And so I was, uh, I was shooting up heroin. Uh, sh- shooting up meth, and I I did that all day long under the bridge. And then on uh, let's see, Sunday, I get a call from Chris Humber saying that people are um, partying at uh, Josh's place, and uh, I was like, well, might as well keep the party going. I feel like shit, and I get over there, you know, and uh, Josh, he's got this roommate or this dude. He he's letting him rent a space, and he sells everything you know cocaine you know meth heroin right and uh everyone was just getting fucked up and so you know i just started drinking doing more shit whatever whatever and then um yeah so did that all day sunday and then on monday i called my sponsor because he said uh his spider senses were, were tingling and, and he wanted to know how i was doing and i, I told him everything i told him i wanted help and um he said, come on over, we'll, we'll get you into, you know, somewhere. And so. Your stepfather? Or his, or your, no, your father died, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, like on the, on the topic of my father, like the way he died was, you know, uh, someone hit him in the head when he was out there getting high and bust his head open. Right, and I could have died the same way, man. Like that is that have been some fucked up shit, but um, yeah. So um, I went and met my sponsor Eric, and he took me to the hospital, and he got me into the psych ward. I told him I wanted to kill myself, and um, I didn't. I literally want to kill myself, but Eric said the way that I was using, you know, it was like I had a death wish. You wasn't trying to kill yourself, huh? 
No, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, and so basically with, with the way I was using it and everything, like I, I I pretty much was, you know, trying to trying to kill myself because I just didn't, didn't care anymore. So, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my opening. I don't, I don't know where to go from there. Um, we could do so it. Uh, you, you, you go back to the beginning because at that point you have hopefully reached rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. If you're staying at death and you pretty much, you, you lost your home, you lost your friend, you lost Faye, at least till you get her back. She ain't going to fucking where. Right. And right. you almost lose your life. And you get up off the mat and you say, I don't want this for myself. And you try to move forward. But how did yeah. we get here? And then you go back to the beginning. Because every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yours is ongoing, so you have to define your arc. So you are, I guess, too, too white for the black folks or too black for the whites, I guess. Yeah. Um, that seems yeah. to be a recurring theme in your storyline. Uh, a bit talented and restless, maybe a bit too smart for your station. Yeah. And too smart with a lack of patience. Mm-hmm. So you end up being very restless and doing many restless things because your mind is not occupied by things that move it forward. Right. And so we have to come to the beginning of that. You know, when did you realize that this was not a regular life? When did you realize this was different? When did you realize that something was off. Did you realize something was off until you hit rock bottom? How self-aware are you? How, you know, do you know what your triggers are? Are you aware of certain things? And those things and your awareness of them will help you outline where you go with the story. Because, you know, you only have a certain number of words. This ain't war and peace. So you want to take the touch tones that are compelling and at least oh shit moments and make sure you capitalize off them. So anything that's wild and zany has to have a story leading up to it. And there should be some kind of plateauing or resolution of that story before you move on to a next. And those stories should build on each other and build on each other and build on each other until you reach that point where you are bottom right right so you you know you, you have a military history yeah that's, i that's, that's yeah, what I we're actually, going to use to make people give a fuck about you a soldier well, story yeah i don't i don't know whatever you want to tie angle like i actually, actually got kicked out of the military twice twice for the same shit pretty much um yeah but that that that's that's that says a few things. One, that says that people in the military are vulnerable to the same shit that people in the street are vulnerable to. Mm-hmm. Two, it says that there are no protections in the military and people have attached some kind of nobility to it. 
but there are Ku Klux Klan, there's fucking Bloods and Crips, there's all kinds of crazy shit in the military, and some of that is fostered by the conditions of the military, you know, um, how fucked up do you have to be to wage war? These are real things. And yeah, well, while well, you're going through it, yeah, you, you don't have, you know, while you're going through it, you don't notice it, or because everyone around you is going through it, it's your new normal. But it's not normal to go to some foreign country and put around to a fucking twelve-year-old. So yeah, in order to to that place, it has to be drugs. There's only a few really, really natural-born killers. There aren't many of them, and those that are rarely take to the discipline and the structure of the military. So you have to be trained and managed to the point where you can go kill people. Because that's what it is. It's, it's yeah. not an honorable thing. It, it's, it's like when people are in the streets and they go, stop snitching. That only works for the kingpins. So the kingpins tell the little people not to snitch because they think there's some kind of honor in the game. There's no honor in the game because as soon as one of those fish get caught, they're telling on everybody and they're staying out of jail while your ass is doing time for getting caught with a dime bag. So the military is the same way. Oh, we, we, we're protecting the freedoms and all that shit like it's G.I. Joe and Cobra. No, you're destabilizing right. some fucking other rice-eating country, and now all of a sudden, 30 years later, their children are trying to blow up shit in protest. You know, and you call them terrorists, but they may call themselves freedom fighters and this, that, and that. But right, it's right. not some kind of labor of justice or freedom. You are enforcing imperialism with murder. Right. If there's one caveat... Yeah, if, if there's one caveat I would I, I would like to add about the military, it is um it is their recruitment. So I have a veteran buddy who was in the Marines, and uh, and he told me like he broke it down like real real deep. He's like, look, like the military, like they they want poor people number one, and they really they really want addicts and alcoholics. They want people with risk seeking behavior. Right. Because you have right. to be a risk taker to get uh, to actually prosper in that sort of an environment where your life is on the line. Because out there, when you're fucking with drugs, you know, like it's a it's a lifestyle. Right. You do it. You lock a, in. You focus, and you do what you have to do to survive. Yeah, exactly. You know, like with the whole drug shit, it it becomes like the whole lifestyle becomes addictive because there's the whole process of. Uh, you know, how are you going to get money for the drugs? And and then you have to get the drugs and then you have to evade the authorities and all that shit. And, you know, in a, in a fucked up kind of way, it's like being a secret agent, you know, like there's yeah. this shit going on right beneath the surface of society, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, but as far as my story, um, I think, uh, what do you, I think, I'd like to uh, maybe start with some childhood stuff and maybe um, look at where this um, where this self-loathing comes from. 
you know, and everything right. that kind of led up to, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you start at the point where you realize you are different, you know, because people don't just become outsiders. Something has to happen, right? They mm-hmm. don't just say, hey, I've, you know, they don't just find themselves on the outside. You know, there may be some kind of Saul of Tarsus moment where they're zapped and they fall off their horse and they realize, oh, shit. You know, uh, yeah. it may have been something with a girl. It may have been something in school. It may have been something at home or your family that inside tugs at you. You had a stepfather. He was in the jazz. So there, there are cultures and things that you are exposed to that maybe a lot of people in your family don't jive with or people in your neighborhood don't jive with. And so you're an outcast because you know too much. They say ignorance is bliss. What happens when you're not ignorant? Well, then it's a whole lot less blissful, <laughs> especially when you're surrounded by motherfuckers high enough and in bliss. So, you know, as you grow up and you find out your real father and you're trying to reconcile that part of yourself because it is in your genes, it is you, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you reconcile that with your stepfather? You know, do you resent your stepfather? Do you think that, that that's keeping you from the real you? Or do you resent the real you for not embracing that, that you know, what you were introduced to to the point where it could have saved your life or taken you a different direction than the tumult that you have exposed yourself to. So, you know, these are, these are real things. So let me ask you, when, when did you feel different from everybody else? Oh, I think, um, I've kind of always felt different from everybody else and, and, and not in some, you know, like I'm, I'm really unique, but I re- remember the relationship I had with my mother um, in comparison to, to other families I saw growing up around me, you know, like. Um, Mother's always good. Uh, toxic femininity is a, is a real thing. And so she had it's me. It's a real she, thing. Yeah, so she had me when she was 17, and um, she was adopted by my grandmother, Maxine Love, you know, and and she'd been, like, in and out of the system. She'd been raped and all this stuff in uh, foster homes, and my biological father was my Uncle Lamar's best friend, who my grandma Jimmy had kicked out of the house because he was running the streets, you know, and so when you have a bunch of teenagers in the house, you know, um, shit shit happens, you know, And, and so... Um, she had me at 17 and, um, she, uh, she has a thing with, um, control, especially with men in her life, you know, and I've, I've seen this, um, this pattern of hers with, with, uh, every man I've seen her with, you know, um, my biological father, my sister's father, um, Paul, you know, and, um, just, a lot of um, antagonism and uh, acrimony all the time. Like she, she has to be in control, and if she's not in control, she will break you. You know, and so um, 
she couldn't uh, control my father. He was his own man, you know. And as far as um, my genetics go, so she um, so she got who she could get. Yeah, yeah. Um, on my father's side, you know, like he he like he was an addict, you know. And um, my mother's real mother, I remember she came to see us in Colorado Springs when I was six. Uh, she was such a bad alcoholic, we had to hide the rubbing alcohol in the house. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So I've I've, I've got that. You can drink that, whole, that shit. I mean, yeah, yeah. You can. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a good idea, you know. But uh, so I've I've got that in me from um, both sides. And as far as like my uniqueness, I remember you know, um, just not just not liking her, not feeling love loved. Um, Hating her, I I think the best parts of my childhood are when I lived with my grandmother and and my aunt. You know, I um, we stayed in Tacoma for a while, and um, she met Keith, my sister's father. He was in the military, and uh, we lived in Germany for a bit, and then we came back stateside, and we were stationed at Fort Carson. And I remember my mother telling me, you know, um, you look just like your father, and I thought. You know, me being you know six or seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought I thought that Keith was my real dad. Like I didn't know, and Keith is really fair Ah. skinned. But I didn't know any better. Like she never told me, you know. And so one day, um, uh, she she came home, and I've been playing with the stove, just doing dumb shit like kids do. And she got really, really angry, and um, she she grabbed me, and she ran my head into the door jam you know, two, three, four times as hard as she could. And I'm a little kid, you know. And, right. um, yeah, yeah. And, and and this was not too long after she, she told me I looked just like my father, you know. And so um, it's kind of a trip, you know, like all her resentments and um, the way she kind of took them out on me, you know. And she, she had my sister, her, her light-skinned baby, you know. And, um, she really treated uh, Sharifa and I a lot differently, you know, over over the course right. of, you know, our um, childhood, you know. And so uh, I got sent uh, back to Tacoma to, to live with my grandmother and, and, and my aunt and Michelle and my cousins. And uh, she left Keith or, or Keith left her. Um, I know that uh, Keith was an alcoholic, but. Um, I don't know how much of the drinking was uh, him being an alcoholic or him having to, you know, deal with, you know, someone like my mother who is just um, always trying to fight, always trying to antagonize somebody, you know. Um, it's just weird, man, because, like, um, I saw so many fucked up relationships she was in as a kid that I thought that trying to fight with somebody and, and, and trying to antagonize them all the time was normal. And so as an adult, when I was older, you know, and I was, I was dating women and things like that, you know, like I, I thought it was normal to try and fight and say mean things and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, um, I, I had a good childhood with my, with, with my grandmother, my cousins and my aunts, you know, and, um, at a certain point in time, it came time for my mother to to take me back, you know, but she didn't want me. 
she did not want me. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew this as a kid, and it was confirmed later on when I talked to my grandmother, Jimmy, before she died. You know, she said, I know that your mother messed you up, you know, and, and she told me the whole story about how, like, my mom didn't want me. She didn't want me brought back to, to uh, Pueblo uh, to live with her. And uh, my grandmother, Maxine, and my aunt and my cousins, they all drove me down from Tacoma to Pueblo, Colorado. And I walk in the house, her apartment, and she's giving me the cold shoulder. She, she just, just does not want me there at all. You know, and, and so um, being being unloved, you know, um, yeah. abandonment, like those are those are all issues that you know, in all likelihood, or they they did contribute, you know, to my addiction. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, so she met Paul. Um, she was studying psychology at the University of, of Southern Colorado in Pueblo. He was a psychology professor, right? And um guess I started dating and stuff like that. And um, there came a day where, like, we got to meet him and stuff. And um, I wasn't with it, you know, like, because he was, like, 20 years older than my mom. You know, this 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 older white dude with with my mom and like my mom is you know like she's she's really attractive like while we were stationed in germany like she did some modeling and stuff like that and um you know like i don't i don't want to say he was a sugar daddy but yeah. i think maybe maybe she was doing what she thought was best maybe she really loved him i don't know like they were they were together for many years you know um mm-hmm. yeah but uh, yeah, so I I met him and, and we moved to his house in Pueblo. It's a, it's a big old house and it's this white dude and it's strange and you know um, yeah, like she from from early on was was trying to get me to call him dad, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I was just not having it, you know. Like I was I was still focused yeah. on uh on Keith Keith. My sister's father was right. a was a good dude, as far as I knew. Like I, I remember in, in right. Germany, one Christmas he got me um, like eight Thundercats, a bunch of He Man's, and the castle with the slime and everything. Like he, you know, yeah. like that was that was my dad. Like I don't, I don't know this white dude who plays piano and and likes jazz and stuff right. like that, and you know, whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, yeah. So I guess. Um, early formative years in uh, Pueblo. It was cool. You know, like, there there weren't that many black people. Um, Yeah. I don't know where you're going to go with this, but I'm trying to think, was there anything significant about Pueblo? Um, I had my little, you know, friends and stuff like that. I had a good time. I used to ride bikes and all that stuff. But um, I do remember, you know, like, my mother, you know, like she'd had friends in Pueblo and like they, they had kids and stuff and we'd go out to, you know, um, Red Robin and stuff like that. And she would always put out or present a front when we were out together that, that she was a loving mother. Like she, she she would hug me, she would kiss me and da 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 da. But in the house, um, she would belittle me all the time. You know, like, why, why aren't you doing this? That's not good enough. Da 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 da
And um, at a certain point, she had to know to be trained psychologically. Right, right, right. And and uh, your internal dialogue as an adult comes from the way you were raised. You know, like that. That's that's how it works. And 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 for mine to this day, like I'm, I'm I'm really really hard on myself, and I beat myself up all the time. And um, just uh, yeah, like. I don't I don't actively hate myself now, but I know that uh it's still there. That part of you, you know you, yeah, part of you is self destructive because of that. Yeah. Yeah. The inability yeah. to meet that standard. Yeah, impossible standards. And and I was I was talking to Faye one time and she was like, It sounds like you had a narcissistic parent. And she looked it up and showed me, and 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 sure enough, you know, like there's there's always a favorite child. There are impossible standards to meet. They look at you like you're a literal um, reflection of them, you know. And uh, right, yeah, man. So okay. I just remember always, always, you know, feeling like feeling bad and, and like being being put down by her and stuff and kind of being just like disregarded. And, um, she was the type to, um, go out and get, um, my sister and her, you know, new clothes when it was time for school and stuff like that. And, and Cinderella, your ass. And like, when I needed clothes, yeah. So I needed some shorts and, you know, she would just take some jeans and, cut them and then try and sew them and stuff like that. And I would get made fun of, you know, for having the homemade clothes and shorts and stuff like that at school. Um, yeah. And the whole time we're in Pueblo, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering where, where Keith is, you know, cause that's my dad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. He just kind of was out of the picture. So, yeah. So, are there any standout events from childhood post-Keith? Because we talk about Keith, and you have the severance of that relationship. You talk about Paul and the establishment of that relationship. Uh, We'll revisit Paul and the evolution of that relationship. But from there... How do you get from military? Let's let's talk college. Let's 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 talk about undergrad. Like, are there things that are was the military before or after college? It was after college. I enlisted in the army when I was twenty six. Okay, so let's talk college first. So okay, you you know you. I guess we can we can talk about Pueblo in some of these places and go, well, how did you fit in? We talk about your home life, but after a certain age, uh, your societal sphere grows larger and it's outside the house now. So how is it interacting with other people when one, not only is your home life less than desirable, but your family's a nomad. So you don't have any roots. You don't have, you know, you you're Germany, you're here, you're there. So you don't have any friends or people who have known you for a while, but you're a child. 
and you yeah. keep moving. How does that affect the bonds that you form? How does that affect how you see yourself in the context of outside the house? Um, socially, I was, uh, I guess you could say I was, um, I was definitely awkward and all throughout my childhood, I was the kid that everyone picked on. Um, reason being in my mind, like looking back is, is, uh, I was, I was picked on and fucked with and antagonized so much in the home that when I went out in the world, you know, people could smell it on me. I was an easy mark, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was bullied. I was, I was picked on, and it was just, you know, that was, that was my life, you know. Yeah, uh, starting early. Um, and uh, later on, it was, it was definitely a problem. So after, after Pueblo, uh, Paul had got a job at. Um, uh, IU South Bend, he was the chairman of the psychology department, you know, and we're in South Bend. And South Bend is a really, it's it's in the Midwest. It's where Notre Dame is, right? And yeah. it's a it's a really uh, segregated town. And we live in the suburbs. Like I, like, I didn't even live in South Bend. I lived in uh, Granger, Indiana. Right? It don't really and, fucking matter. It's Indiana, so it's fucking racist. Right, right, right. So... Um, I, um, I went to Clay Middle School and the thing that, that, that really pissed me off is, is I was, I was still resentful over, over having this white, uh, stepdad, um, because he, he was complicit in a lot of the things, you know, uh, and the abuse that she was dishing right. out, so, you know. Like, so not I, only are you new, but you're not even stepping up for me neither. Right, right, right. And so uh, before she met Paul, uh, she was a lot more uh, physically abusive, you know. And uh, uh-huh. I, I remember her um, dragging my sister by the hair up the stairs one time at, at my grandma's, and you know she used to beat and. and uh, and uh, hit me and stuff like that. And um, also, um, so with her being a doctor, you know, like uh, there there were times in Tacoma, I would I would walk in on um, my mother and, and my uncle Lamar in uh, sexual situations, man. You know, so this is um, you know people who I think are brother and sister, you know, doing things right. I know as a kid are not right. And, 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 and so not right for brothers and sisters. Right. Right. And so my mother, you know, like because of what happened to her, probably she used to act out sexually. So I, I remember one time we were on a uh, Fort Carson and I, I know I'm going back, you know, but it's, it's kind of hard to remember because right. I'm tired, but I remember one time, you know, like we were in the barracks and uh, Keith's barracks, just like hanging out in the, living room or whatever and uh and she's sucking his dick and there's people walking in and out of the room there's people just like sitting there chilling watching and stuff and i'm here and, and i'm there as a kid seeing this she's sucking this right. man's dick in front of other people in the room and stuff man you know like right. they all fucked up right yeah yeah 
Yeah, man. Just she, she did a lot of crazy shit. Like she used to um she used to leave the door open and masturbate in front of me. You know? Um mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what that was about, but you know, she would like she was you, uh you lucky you're not some kind of crazy person, you know? I oh, mean, I'm, you're, I'm, you're self-destructive, but, you know, I don't know how much of proclivity you have towards aggression for other people, but you certainly could have, you certainly could have turned out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like she, yeah, she was definitely just off. You know what I mean? Like looking, looking back, like who the hell? does that type of stuff in front of their kid, you know, like I remember one time she had the door open and she was moaning and uh, doing stuff to herself. And and then I laughed because I thought it was funny. I thought it was weird. And she was like, it's not funny. And looking back, it's like, you couldn't close the door, you know, like, I mean, she probably Uh, opened it for a reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. When you you look at the kind of, kind of strange relationship she's had with functionally familiar familial relationships mm-hmm. you you probably don't really know how she would treat actual familial relationships you know yeah yeah so anyways back to back to Indiana yeah. I wanted to, uh, we, so we lived in Granger in this subdivision called uh, Norwood. We had a nice house, you know, nice, nice lawn and all that stuff, you know, and and, and there were other oh, kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I started going to uh, Clay Middle School when I was, you know, 12, something like that. And the thing that was, that was really hard for me, yeah, the, the, the thing that was really hard for me, you know, was that, um, my mother and Paul were intent on, on, on not letting me be the person I wanted to be, but the person they wanted me to be, you know? And so right. ni- 1992, yeah. Yeah. So like 1992, like you got kids wearing, you know, cross colors, just sat in the third, you know, right. whatever, in the middle of a cultural explosion and you want me to be some shit. <laughs> right. And so they, they wanted me to go to school dressed in a uh, doctor's, Dockers and a college oh, shirt. Oh, just, just like, fuck me up. Just awesome. Everybody hates Chris shit. Just fuck me up then. Just just send me to school with a kick me sound on my back. Right. Right. Fuck yeah. me up. I can't fight. <laughs> just, just, you know. Yeah. You know, um, I I remember like I needed I needed shorts for gym, you know, and I wanted like the Fab Five shorts. You know, like I wanted right. the long ones and. Uh, they went out and they got me some uh some whack ass Yeah. And some John Stocksons, you know, and on top of all this, you know, coming from the West Coast, like our um the accents are different out here. You know, and, and right. so um I mean to their credit, uh and to Paul's credit, you know, like they had me reading books pretty early on and didn't let me watch a lot of T V and stuff like that. But I basically, you know, um, I taught quote unquote white, you know, and so I, I don't I don't know what the black population of South Bend is. It's not as much as Gary, but you know, like there's like a <laughs> both, nice side of both, town. Both of them, <laughs> both of them. 
So, yeah, it was like a nice side of town. And uh, Clay had kids from the suburbs and the hood. And, and, and that was it. Like, there was really no in-between, you know. And I was a black kid mm-hmm. from the suburbs. And so me, um, I went through a lot, a lot of shit. You know, I was I was getting punked out all the time. You know, people trying to fight me. I just run away. Um, you know, people. I was I was called an Oreo on a regular basis. People were always clown the way I dress, the way I talk and stuff. I was in all the honors and like AP classes and stuff like that, which really didn't help. You know, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And um, when it came time for band, I wanted to play the drums. But they wouldn't let me play the right. drums. Because that's the blackest shit <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Right. I wanted to learn the drums, but um, we compromised on the trumpet because I liked uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there were some other black kids in the subdivision, you know, and um, I just kind of, like, I, I became quote-unquote friends with them, but really they just kept me around so they could clown me, really. And uh, and that was it, you know. I like playing basketball. I wasn't very good when I was younger. I don't I don't think. Um, but I love to play ball, you know. And um, I signed up for um, cross country. Uh huh. Which oh, which really worked for me. Is dirty. Yeah, because I was I was uh, I was tall and skinny, and I had that build like an Ethiopian, you know. So I was yeah. I was really good at that, you know. So I, and um, yeah, middle school is like so. There is there is a certain point where like everyone listens to um, dumb shit, and like my earliest memories of hip hop um, are probably um, I remember that movie Nothing But Trouble. I was watching it with my aunt and um, uh, Digital Underground and Tupac do a uh, yeah. same song, right? That's, yep. that's like one yeah. of my earliest memories. Like I, I I used to love that shit, but that. MC Hammer, uh, Vanilla Ice, Biz Marquee, all that stuff. But in middle school, I think I don't remember if it was it was it was probably eighth grade, but there was a video on Rap City of um, the electric relaxation. Yeah, tried. And that shit, that shit changed. Blew your whole world up. Yeah, yeah, man, that shit fucking changed my life, man. But uh, yeah. So I mean I can I can get a lot of material out of out of South Bend, you know, um being uh too black for white kids and too white for black kids, you know, and just uh-huh. growing up around white people and, and uh and not being accepted, you know, by my own even though I wanted to. You know, like no matter how hard I tried, I was but I was always the butt of the joke, always getting punked out and I was I was a joke. You know, I was a lame. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, feel free to ask questions because the more questions you ask, like, the more material you got. So, or is this just a filling so, out period? Uh, I mean, it, it's both, right? So, so we got South Bend as a, a key point in the establishment of who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's... The, that's when you get out of the house. That's when you start getting into, you know, how the world sees you rather than how you see yourself as somebody's son or little TJ, right? So, right. 
you you're acing these courses, you're you know exerting yourself intellectually, you're trying to find yourself physically. What were the first? Who was your first? Who would you say was your first friendship that wasn't based on you being uh, a little nigga? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what was your first relationship? First legitimate, equal, or at least uh, respectful relationship? Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. This is this is a good one. So, um, so we had the house. In Norwood, we lived on Heather Hill Lane. Like, this was like something out of the boondocks, pretty much. But, uh, so across the street, there's this family, and, uh, they had three kids. Uh, Meredith was in high school. She was a basketball star for, uh, St. Joseph's High School. Um, Justin, he went to Clay Middle School, or he went to, no, he went to Clay Middle School, I think. And Blair, Blair was one grade ahead of me. And uh, he went to the private school called uh, Holy Cross, the private mm-hmm. middle school. And um, we hit it off right away, man. Like, we hit it off right away. Like, so, you know, we we were, you know, to, uh, I throw the football around. We would hit the baseball around. We played, played basketball. He had a adjustable rim so, like, you mm-hmm. could lower it and dunk on it, yeah. you know? yeah. And uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh and at the time we're um we are so South Bend is probably an hour and a half, hour forty minutes from Chicago. So we get WGN. We get all the Bulls games. All of them. You know. Yeah. So that's where my um that's where my Michael Jordan standing comes from. Just <laughs> just yeah. from yeah, just from watching all the games as a kid. So we had that in common. And uh we, we pretty much like we we went through puberty together, you know. Like we would talk about girls right. and stuff like that, and um, yeah, that was that was the first real real uh, friendship I ever had. And the the thing that was weird or, or or not weird, but like you know, like like you see the memes or like the jokes on the internet about how how white kids treat their parents and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, his parents were divorced, and his mom, like uh, I guess she was a consultant. Or whatever, but like he would just talk to her like shit all day long. He would yell at her and uh, stuff like, "I said I want Wendy's and and, and, and shit like that." And uh, yeah, but they were but they were they were they were good people and they treated me well, like real well, you know. And um, and in contrast, like my household was very very strict. You know, it was it was real strict. It was uh overbearing. It was very shame based. It was you know it was just. I always right. felt bad all the time, but um, I could go over there and like that would always have like fast food. They had pizza and stuff, you know. Like he had the Sega Genesis, get popping and all that, all that stuff. And um, he was like, yeah, probably one of the best friends that I've I've ever had in my life. But he was he was definitely spoiled. Like his dad owned um, owned some some kind of company. He was a graduate in Notre Dame, and I think so was his mom, you know. And like um, that was that was Blair's past. You know, and um, even though I was I was a smarter one, like I was I was way smarter than him. You know, like now he's right. he's taking over his dad's business. And in high school, as kids, you know, like Blair was driving a fucking uh, Mercedes SUV. <laughs> you know, actually, no, right. he had a he had a red Pontiac Grand Dam. And then around the end of his senior year, I think he got the Mercedes SUV. But uh, 
yeah, like we were we were bound over hip hop, you know, and like this is during the time um, when the radio you could hear KRS and Ice Cube and Tribe right. and 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 Snoop all and you know yeah, that early nineties era was probably like the last eclectic era where you could hear any kind of hip hop on the radio. Yeah, and yeah. after so that, is, it just you know. Yeah, so this is this is before CDs, you know, and, and, and so I would I would uh, I would sit by the radio at night and uh, I would I would just press record when I knew a song was coming on. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the other thing is like, so this is like out out in the suburbs, but there was a public library, right? And um, and they had CDs, all right. And and so um, I used to go there and. Um, you know they would they would have stuff like uh, like Keith Murray and 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 Redman and Camp Low and, and and all this stuff and uh, it was just in the library you know and, and I consider myself a hip hop head you know but but the way I came up there was there was nobody to show me the way or anything like that this was all stuff I just gravitated to and found on my own right you know um, but yeah yeah me and Blair like we both play basketball he plays football. Uh, I ran cross country, and uh, he yeah, he used to always take take my side, man. Like like so like the other black kids or whatever, in the suburb, uh, they would they would they would shit on me and stuff all the time, and and uh, and Blair would stick up for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to know? Like no. more detail? Are you still friends with him? I'll last like, do you still him. do you still know him? No, not really. I, like I last, so I this is this is the thing. So like addicts, like we have a lot of shame and shit, you know, about our our past and things we've done. And I think a lot of people from from South Bend kind of just wrote me off, you know, as as just being a drug addict and a drunk, you know. But last time I saw him was after I got kicked out of the army the first time, and um, at that point I was just full blown, you know alcoholic and uh addict tj you know and he was like man like he used to be smart you know like what what happened and you know what can you say you know what i don't know i mean i mean yeah i mean i didn't i don't know what to tell him but yeah i'm a i'm a fucking drug addict man it is what it is so okay yeah so the army the well, armor, you want to jump to that? Uh, like yeah. There's still Morehouse. There's still Morehouse, by the way. And oh, there's okay. also a Trinity okay. School. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, let's, let's do them. Let's do the school. Let's go to school. Yeah. So uh, I told you about Clay Middle School. I went to Clay High School, and um, I used to do uh, summer track and stuff. So I wanted to be good. I got I got pretty good at cross country. Like I wasn't like the best, but I was. I was pretty good. I think my sophomore year, I finished uh, fifth in, in the all-city meet, and that's a city of almost 200,000 people. And um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, high school was um, – that was hard. That was hard. So I went to, I went to Clay for two years, and, and then my parents yanked me from there and sent me to a school called Trinity, right? And um, – the reason they did that after my sophomore year was because uh, my mother and Paul, I think they felt that I was trying too hard to identify with the other black kids, you know, and 
I started I started to get C pluses in chemistry and not A's, you know. So so, uh, so that was cause cause for panic, and I would I would get in trouble, you know. So I I think um, the summer before my junior year at Trinity, um, or maybe it was at some point, maybe spring of my sophomore year, you know. So like we lived in a subdivision that had a golf course and a country club. And the country club mm-hmm. was where all my black friends in the suburb would go and play ball. But their parents were willing to pay the two grand a month or whatever it was to go play there. And mine, mine weren't, so I was kind of excluded. you know. But anyway, one day, uh, me and Blair and these other little badass white boys who were uh, moving in the neighborhood, um, we, would, we would sneak out and uh, we would do ding-dong bitch. You know, um, we wouldn't break. Well, that's when you ring the bell and that's when you ring to my doorknob and run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like I guess they call it nigger knocking, right? Yeah, that's what we uh, call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, we would get in the cars and try it and uh and uh and take the change out of it. And uh, there was um there was a mailbox on the next street over that somebody had. Took a painstaking amount of time to make look at a, to, to make it look like a Dalmatian, and so mm-hmm. we destroyed it two times, Damn. you know. And on the third time, this person had a video camera set up, and they ah. caught us, and they caught us, and and so that was that was that was real real big. And clearly, you stuck out. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you know. Um, that's that's when I started smoking cigarettes too. I, I got I got caught smoking cigarettes and. Um, which which didn't go over well, and um, so the guy says, um, like the cops came to my house and stuff, and I was scared shitless. I was I was I was shit myself pretty much, you know. And the guy didn't want to prosecute and said, "Look, you guys need to go volunteer at the homeless shelter, and you each have to make me a new mailbox." And so um, he showed us how to do it, and I made the new mailbox, and um, I actually never did the uh, volunteer thing at. The homeless shelter, I was, and uh, and Blair didn't either. And um, I remember, you know, at this time, it was it was okay, you know, uh, to my parents for us to make cards for them for like uh, holidays and stuff like that. And um, I remember not wanting to do it because I didn't like them. I didn't like either of them, you know. Um, I remember. I needed I needed some money for like an outcast CD or some shit like that. I needed to come up, and it was fall, and I would just knock on doors and say I was gonna rake leaves or whatever. And so I I went to do this one lady's yard. It was fucking huge, and she said she said she was gonna pay me like fifteen bucks, and it would have took like four hours. So I worked for like two hours, and I was like, man, fuck this, you know. And I just uh, she paid me, and I never came back. Apparently. She, she found out where I lived. Oh, I told her I needed uh, fifteen bucks. I told her I needed fifteen bucks to get my mom a gift for Mother's Day, right? And uh, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't getting that bitch shit, you know. Like it was, you know, you know yeah, wasn't, wasn't gonna do it, you know. And so, um, she found my house, and Paul was like, "So you told her that you needed money to get your mom something for Mother's Day?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "What you didn't?" I was like, "Nope." And um, yeah, and that's just a little story, I guess. But uh, 
Yeah, so based off of, you know, me getting in trouble and, and, and me wanting to be more black and identify with my culture more and whatnot, they were, they were getting kind of worried, and they associated me getting in trouble with me wanting to be more black. And so they said, how would you like how, to go to how, another school? How close were those things correlated? I mean, you were, you were actually hanging out with the white kids getting in trouble. So how how closely, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, uh you know, being educated is called being white. Like how, how, how actual was that in terms of you connecting with your, was that really what was taking you down or were they mistaken? They were mistaken. And, and the weird thing is, is that after, after we got in trouble, you know, um, Rod and Montan, like Rod lived and Rod lived and the subdivision and his sister Lauren, I had a crush on her. Um, and Montan was his friend, his friend from the hood who would come stay with them, whatever, whatever. But Rob was like, "Look, man, like now they're gonna think it was us." Blah 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 blah. And uh, and he was right, you know. Yeah. But um, I was I was just acting out, period. Or like I like I don't even want to call it acting out. It was just me saying fuck it, you know. Like I was I was under the yeah. thumb of some hardcore, you know someone trying to mold me into something they wanted me to be. And I didn't have any agency. That's the word they use these days to, to, to kind of be my own person. Yeah. So I was, I was rebelling. And so, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Is, is that rebellion a common theme in your life? Because it seems that whenever you get in a good place and there's some kind of overarching order, that's mm-hmm. when you start to bust your head, whether it's the military, whether it's the union, whether it's any kind of structure where you have to conform to some kind of ideal or code, you go off the rails. Is is this a current, a current theme? Is this a thing where you can't deal with structure? Hmm. All structure oppression. I don't know. Honestly, couldn't tell you. Um, in the case of the military, yeah. And uh, and the case of my upbringing, yeah, I would I would say so. But as far as the union goes, no, I, I'm not. I wasn't bucking against that. I was just trying to stay sober, and I couldn't. You know, it wasn't any. I mean. Um, do I fuck up a good thing? Yeah, I I, I do that all the time, and, and maybe it's a is it, subconscious is urge. It that you think you don't deserve good things. Oh. You don't deserve the success. You don't deserve prosperity. Is that where you're? You know what? You might have a point. You might have a point because say, um, and other people, you know, who I'm close to out here who who are sober say that. Um, they think um, that I feel that I don't deserve to be loved, you know? And so when someone feels like that and they have all the self-loathing, then they behave in nihilistic ways, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So anyways, um, they, Paul, my mother asked They moved to Trinity. Uh, they, they asked me if, if I wanted to go to this school called Trinity, right? 
And so I said, all right, well, I'll, um, I'll go visit it. And um, I was having a shitty time at Clay, you know, like I didn't have the Tommy Hilfiger, you know, I didn't have the polo and all that stuff. You know, I was pretty fucking lame, man. And uh, so I went to Trinity. It's a school, like something out of a movie. Like, have you seen Finding Forrester? Hello? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So if you've seen Finding Forrester, it's kind of like that. It's like there's a campus and there's grounds and there's like, you know, Iron Gate with, you know, shiny black paint and all that shit. And there's kids in uniforms and and all that shit. And the typical boarding school shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to visit and there was a kid there who I went to Clay Middle School with who I recognized. And I was having a shitty fucking time at Clay, man. You know, like I, I, I kind of felt like I could, I could use a new start, you know? And so I, I visited it and, you know, it was, it's a really good school. You know, they, they, you know, always have like all the national merit scholars and all that shit, whatever, whatever. And, yeah. um, I just wanted to change, man. And, and so I agreed to do it and, um, to get caught up, because they were more advanced than clay. I had to take some college classes and uh, math and uh, and some other stuff. And so um, I started going there. And I'm the only black kid, you know, but um, yeah, I get your, to play basketball. So your, your identity is always under assault. Yeah, yeah. But I get to play basketball finally. Because the thing with clay is um, – my seventh or eighth grade year at uh, Clay Middle School, the high school, um, they had won the state championship in 94. And there was a kid who was a freshman or a sophomore by the name of Jerron Cornell who hit the game-winning three-pointer, right? And so mm-hmm. while I was at Clay, like, um, I wasn't good enough to make the team, but, like, it was a legit Indiana high school basketball program. But there was lots of politics right. involved. And, and to get on the team, you had to know certain people. And maybe I just wasn't good enough. But um, I stayed close to the team by being the uh, the uh, stat boy, you know, uh, for the team. And so I would go on the road trips and keep stats and, and shot charts and all that mm-hmm. stuff for the team. And, you know, we would just travel all around Indiana. And, like, I got to see some good, good ball players. But anyways, when I got to Trinity, they didn't have cross country. And so um, I played soccer and I could focus on basketball. You know, and I got really fucking good. I got real good, you know. But at the same time, I'm the only um, I'm the only black kid, you know. And uh, the school was ran by this organization called the People of Praise, and it was kind of like oh a boy. cult. Yeah, it was a cult. It was kind of yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of like a cult, you know. And and uh, it was it was very very you know they were. They were very watchful, and it was a very sheltered environment, and the school was strict. But um, as far as the education, you know, like I had a humanities course with a teacher who I love to death to this day by the name of Mr. Biff, and um, it was like a whole new way of learning. So, like, we were reading, you know, um, Augustus and uh, Hegel and all that stuff like that. Right. And it was it, it was Christian uh, theory and... Yeah, yeah, and the classes yeah. were kind of taught um, 
salon style where, you know, like someone would, would talk and yeah. present their point and you had the weight and, and there was a back and forth. And so when I first started going there, um, I had some trouble because I didn't know how to, you know, interact that way, you know, but, um, right. Yeah. And, and, and Trinity also fucked me up and like, it, it fucked me up being the only black kid that also, it may have, as as it shames as it like as it pains me to admit it like I I think it may have um, informed my dating choices you know yeah. later on right because, because when I was you're 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 a man and yeah. you're gonna be attracted to women but you're in a school and you're the only black guy and the only women are white right right and so when I was at Clay you know in like your I formative like, years yeah yeah and so. When I was at Clay Middle and Clay High School, I liked the black girls. I would I would try and holler at them, whatever, whatever. But I was I was I was a cornball, you know. And I don't right. I don't want to be that black dude who's like, well, I date white women because you know black women rejected me. But that's that's, that's kind of that's pretty much what happened, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, only black kid. Um, you know, the whole, so our uniforms were white cotton Oxfords with navy blue dockers. So my parents finally got their way, I guess, in that, in that respect, right. you know, and, and the girls had to wear these, these skirts, like, I remember that, uh, that Britney Spears video, right? Yeah. The Catholic school girl skirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 So I'm, yeah. I'm a junior and, and just everything is, you know, kind of all my, all my so uh, hormones and. Yeah, right. bro. It's like, like all these girls like running around in skirts and shit, and da da da, da and you know who was, yeah. Like I was just like raging horny back then. And the thing is, it was like um, the household I grew up in was so over overbearing, and like it wasn't open. Like we didn't like I'm not gonna say like we didn't talk about sex or anything like that, but like I didn't even learn how right, to jack off until until right. Right, so like I didn't know how to jack off for none of that shit, and like I didn't even bust a nut until maybe the end of my senior year, you know. But yeah, um, as far as Trinity goes, like it was hella racist, you know. Like I remember, um, absolutely, we had yeah. So like we would have like assembly in the morning, and like the headmaster would talk, and I remember distinctly, you know, him saying, "Well, you know." Today in this world, there are, there are things that pass as art that are just vile and disgusting. And I knew he was talking about hip hop. Rap, <laughs> right? I, right. I, I I knew he was. I knew he was, man. And and uh, like I had my little locker or whatever, and so I would I would uh, I would take like CD covers or like the uh, like CD artwork, and I would take them to my locker yeah. as like a you know like I would have. Uh, Red man, you know, and and uh, BMX and all that shit, whatever, whatever, like on, on my locker is yeah. uh, decoration. But um, yeah, man, I I think being around all those white women, you know, and my and my junior and senior year kind of kind of fucked me up, you know, because like you you grow up as a black person in this country, especially if you're not around black people like that, like you kind of have this idea we are right. brainwashed in a way with these Eurocentric beauty standards, you know, long flowing blonde right. hair, you know, pale skin, um, you know, noses that aren't broad, that are pointy, thin lips, this, this, that, and the third. And so 
when I got there, the girls that I liked just ended up being white, you know. And uh, when there was one girl who was a quote-unquote person of color. Her name was Zinni Velez. She was Puerto Rican. She was brown-skinned. She was bad as fuck. She was a class beneath me. But she hated niggas. She hated, like, she did not like black people. And so I remember one time I was I was walking down the hall and I hear laughing behind me. And I turn around and it's Vinny and this girl named Mary Johnson, who was also one of the, you know, it girls yeah. at school. And some other girl making fun of my lips and making fun of me because I don't have a jutting Caucasian chin, you know. Yeah. And so there's, there's that going on. And then... Um, I remember one time this girl in my class, uh, she called me an ape, you know, so, um, yeah, yeah. And, and then, um, it came time to take, you have no outlet, no outlet, no outlet, none whatsoever, you know? Um, and then it came time to take SATs, right? So, um, I don't know what they expected of me, but. Um, I ended up getting a 1380, which right. at the time, you know, to, was not for, yeah, that was in the 95th percentile, a 1380 out of 1600, you know, you, you doing it. And I remember right. after the scores came back, everyone being all surprised, like, oh my gosh, Tom, you did a great job. Da, 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 da. Like, we were so surprised. And, you know, it was right, like, like you ain't fucking believe in me. you like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But, um. So anyways, um, I guess we can talk about Trinity later on down the line. But by the time I had graduated, well, actually, there's there's more. So anyways, Blair, um, he had a cousin from Las Vegas move out with him. And she was a girl, and she was in the same grade I was, right? And I don't know how, how pertinent this is going to be to the story. But she moved out, and she's living with Blair and his family. And boy... Let me tell you, bro, like, she, man, I'm 17, right? And, like, I have all these hormones raging and stuff like that. And, and uh, anyways, like, she was, she was real cute, and she had a nice little body and stuff like that. And so I would even go over there when nobody was home just to just to hang out. And, like, she would do a little shit, or I would, I would do a little shit. And, like, she'd let me touch her titty and stuff like that. Or, like, she'd, she'd bend over. I come over and rub her mm-hmm. booty, and she looked back and smile. And so, this yeah, this this went on for months, but I didn't I didn't know how to how to proceed from there, you know. So like nothing right. nothing ever came of it. And then later on down the line, I saw her, and she was like, you know what? When we were kids, like I totally would have let you fuck me. And I was just like, oh man, oh man, god damn it, yeah man, yeah. Right. But anyway, let's go to the military. Uh- Oh no no no! Let's go to let's go to college. College. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So by the time um, by the time I'm ready to graduate from Trinity, I'm I'm getting scholarship offers uh, from all these schools, right? And so my mother and Paul, they're like, um, you could just go to IU, and they'll give you a full ride. And I was like, no, I'm I'm getting the fuck away. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah yeah, and uh, you know Tennessee State, uh, that's a black school they offered me a full ride and i got something in the mail from morehouse and i was like this this sounds familiar you know and i remember reading about it so um 
and I had a scholarship offer. I had a half scholarship offer to Washington University in St. Louis, and, and, and they were going to fly me out, you know, to uh, go see the campus. And so um, yeah. it was in the middle of basketball season, right? And right. Uh, I had to leave, and we had a big game or whatever, and, you know, missed the game. But that's where I met my roommate at Morehouse, Marcus, right? And so mm-hmm. get down to St. Louis and uh, talking to this dude from Baltimore, you know, uh, he had a really big afro. He looked like Michael Jackson. Yeah, Baltimore or darker. black as fuck. Yeah, yeah, and and his accent. He he sounded like a like a New Yorker. Like so, the the crazy thing to me is how like Baltimore and DC are only forty minutes apart, but Baltimore sounds a lot more like yeah. New York, like uh, they say yo and whatever, whatever. And DC is like a totally different you know thing. But anyway, so DC is in a fucking force field, man. Right, right. So I meet this kid named Marcus and stuff, and like we're we're chopping it up, and I meet this kid named uh, Aaron Bass from Chicago. This super duper light skinned dude, tall as fuck, popping, right? popping all kinds of shit because he's from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, we all had um, we all had uh, scholarship offers to Morehouse, right? You know. Yeah. And uh, and we met some girls there who had uh, offers for Spellman, you know. So. Um, I remember uh, <laughs> there was this white dude there who was part of the uh, black fraternity. And um, they were like, yeah, this dude raps. He's he's good. Da, da, da. So, like, uh, me and Marcus. Um, Marcus ended up being, um, he was a hip-hop head, but, like, he was more um, exposed to the East Coast than me. So, like, he was really big into, like, uh, Fabulous and stuff like that. And, like, this was before Fabulous mm-hmm. blew up. This was, like, when Fabulous. Okay, was when just, he like, was Fabulous days. sport. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this was, like, before he, like, ever had an album out. So, like, he was really into crew tapes and stuff like that, whatever, whatever. So, um, we go hear this white dude rap, and he's whack as fuck, right? He's stupid whack, stupid whack. Right. And um, um, we had a good laugh about it for, like, 10 minutes and shit, right? And um, that night, uh, there was there was a, a party or a dance, right? And um, this, is, yeah. this is an oh shit story, right? And so... Uh, 17-year-old me, you know, there's a there's a dance, right? So, like, when I was at Clay, I was I was always too scared to dance with the girls, you know, but I, I figured, you know, well, fuck it, you know, and so... Fuck it, um, I ain't gonna be back here. Right, right, right. And and, and so, um, I don't know what song it was, like, like, whatever song was hot in 97, but I'm dancing with this girl who was gonna go to Stoneman, right? And, and she's grinding her booty on me and stuff like that, you know, and, um, I am experiencing things down there I've never felt before, right? <laughs> and she's and she's grinding on me and grinding on me and stuff like that and fucking um, that I busted it up, bro. That was that was the first time I busted it <laughs> up, right? And 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 so I feel it happened and I look down and it's not showing to my jeans or anything. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just step away. So right, I stepped so. I stepped away from her and she's like, what's wrong? I'm just like, nothing, nothing, you know, just, yeah, just totally, <laughs> totally embarrassing, man. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so that summer, um, me and Marcus kept in touch and, uh, me and Paul went to the East coast to visit schools. We visited, uh, Temple, we visited Brown, um, yeah, you, you do the, you do the, the Brown minority weekend. 
No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I, but, um, I did. <laughs> that, yeah. that city is small as fuck, man. Rhode Island is small as hell. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we went to meet his. Um, we went to meet uh, one of his friends in uh, Philly, right? And uh, we were staying in a hotel that was right by the Philadelphia Art Institute. And um, I met this guy, you know, and. Um, we're just kicking at his stuff. And he's like, where are you from? And I'm like, Indiana, you know, where, whatever. And uh, this was right around the time um, there was a Wu-Tang compilation album that came out. It was uh, Killer Bees. It had um, Sons of Man on it. It had fucking yeah. uh, Kill a, a Army. A bunch of Wu-Tang cousin acts. Yeah. It was actually pretty decent. I, I liked it. I liked it. But uh, that's when that came out. And so I'm hanging out with these art school kids and stuff, and they're smoking weed, and like we're, we're talking and stuff. And, you know, I just happened to be around black people, you know. And so right. I, like, I I really gave Philly like a, like a hard, you know, um, look. But um, eventually, uh, Paul's like, we should visit Morehouse. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I think I should too. And um, so we drive to Chicago and we're over here and, uh, they say that the plane is, is going to be delayed and we can catch a flight tomorrow or we can wait for four hours to go to Atlanta. And I'm like, no, nope, we are, we are going to stay in this plane and go to Atlanta. Right. right? And, and, and so, uh, we get to Atlanta and we go to a waffle house. Right. And, um, yeah. And I think it's freaking I think it's freaking Like, like, oh, I didn't know what no. it was, but we go to a waffle so- house and, we get in there and there's just women in booty shorts everywhere, just Holes all over the place. All over the place. And I look at Paul and he smiles at me and I smile at him and I'm like, I like it here. I like yeah. it a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so then um we visit Morehouse and uh I can't remember the guy who was offering me the scholarship, but he gave us a tour of the campus and he and he uh, brought us to his office and it was like I was signing my uh, letter of intent and I signed on the dotted right. line and uh, yeah I was like I'm coming to Morehouse and so me and Marcus like we stayed in contact and I called and said look there's your roommates and we're roommates and stuff like that and uh, man that was that was that was the best year of my life but before that went down before that went down right so um, my senior year um, I had a really, really good uh, basketball season. I was, I was a uh, MVP. I was actually co-MVP with this CAC. So I had to give him co-MVP because they couldn't just give it to me straight out. But I averaged like 18 a game, and uh, I had a really good season and stuff like that. And um, where was I getting at? There's a point to this somewhere. I can't remember. But uh-huh. oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I had. This is. I can't remember when. Uh, Kobe was drafted in '95, right? Or was it '96? The what? Kobe was '90. No, '96. was an... All right, so I I started growing my afro up like Kobe, right? And I asked the headmaster, "Hey, man, can I grow dreadlocks?" And he's like, "No, nah, you can't because if you tried to do it, then uh, then the white kids would want to do it, right?" And so um, I had to wait until the summer, right? And so um, so uh, summer comes and I'm hanging out with uh, like one of my buddy Matt's friends, John. Uh, they were a year ahead of me, so they had their own apartment and stuff. And so um, I'm hanging out with people and stuff. And I'm not I'm not drinking at this point. Like they're having beer and stuff, but like I'm not even I'm not really interested in it. I think the 
The one time I right. drank was probably while parents were out of town, had some people over, and I had some gin. I had a cup of gin, like like a red cup with maybe maybe a shot of gin in it, maybe maybe right two. Pull me up, and I ended up getting uh, carried upstairs, you know, by my friends or whatever. And that was like, that was the party. It was, it was over. It was nothing big. But um, that summer, I lost my virginity, and it was to um, this white girl. She was 21, and I was I just graduated high school, and she played um, college softball for some school in Michigan, you know, and. Um, yeah, but like prior, um, prior to hooking up with her, there was this chick from um, Adams High School I had met. So like, um, probably like my junior and senior year, like um, because I wasn't getting punked as much um, by the clay niggas, I kind of got got more confidence. And the thing to do at that time in the late '90s was to you know go out and get numbers, go out and get girls' phone numbers. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I used to I used to start a real real bad, but I didn't give a fuck. It was just so much fun, man. Like it didn't matter where we went. If we went to the batting cages, if we went to the arcade, you know, I had to get a number, you know. And, and I would I would never call him really like that, you know. And right. um, and there was also know. it was a part of the game. Right, right. And there was also a strip in South Bend called McKinley Avenue, you know. And I had this I had this 1982 Volvo was left on it, just a little piece of shit. But, like, we would ride the strip, you know, get numbers, uh, right. whatever, whatever. And it was fun. And, you know, I be, I became known as uh, as the brave one. You know, like, Tom. Right. Like, Tom is going to go out and get some numbers, and, you know, like, we'll be entertained because he doesn't care. <laughs> and uh, right. so I hang out with this girl, Jenny, and stuff. And I don't I don't know the first thing about sex. You know, like, um, it, it took this freak from a Adams High School. Her dad was a cop, this white girl. I can't remember how I met her, but, like, um, she gave me a kiss, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was probably, like, 17 or whatever, and uh, I would I would make out with her a little bit, you know, here and there, and I brought her home one time to uh, meet my parents, my mom was pissed. She was pissed as fuck. She was like, why are you bringing these white girls home? You can't find a black girl? And looking back, no. I was like, well, <laughs> well you, you, you brought me out of that fucking, fucking white-ass place. Right, right, right. Took me out of the black ass school. Where the fuck you think I'm where they going where I'm gonna find them at? Right, right, right. So, um General Blesky, bro, like I was I was psyched. Like she was Meanwhile she, your she husband was, is white. Right, right. But like Jenny, like she was she was an athlete, she was all toned, you know, she was she was blonde, she was tan. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. I didn't know it at the time but she had a nigga fetish, you know, but I was just like yeah, like a girl. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, I would make out with her and, like, and uh, and do the whole dry humping thing, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And um, and so on the night of the deed, like, my buddy Dan, his, his parents were out of town or whatever. And um, we get to messing around and stuff. And I swear to God, like, my first time having sex, like, I went, like, I went, like, 40 minutes, like, straight up. Yeah, like, I didn't. Yeah. Like I, I, like I guess that happens sometimes, but like I just didn't know what was, what was going on, and uh, and she wanted to do a doggy style, right? And um, so we do that, and I guess she had taken a shit and like didn't didn't wipe that good, but I remember it stinking, bro. Like it was just not. <laughs> so that was that was my first time having sex. That was my first time having sex, right? And so then, 
um, for some weird reason after that, like we, we broke up. I don't know. I mean, like, who, I mean, what, what reasons do 18 year olds break up for? It's just like, well, I'm, I'm done. Right. I got what I wanted. I, I don't know. And I went back to Sarah and I fucked her and it was way better. It was way better. And so, um, Jenny was, was cool with Blair and, uh, looking back on it, it was kind of fucked up. So like we broke up, but her car would be parked at Blair's place. And I guess they were, they were hanging out. I don't, I don't know what she was trying to achieve. I don't know what was, what was going on with that, but I guess, right. you know, just weird looking back on it, whatever. But I, I told Blair, like, yeah, bro, I've had better. Cause I was, you know, I was, I was feeling like I was a shit. Cause I fucked two girls, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I've had better. better this had the third. And so, um, on the night before we were going to drive down to Morehouse, I was going to see Sarah one more time. And, uh, and Paul was like, look, man, like, um, do not be out tonight after 11. And so in right. high school, my parents, like they were, they were strict. They were on some like be home at nine thirty type shit, you know, like pretty, right, like pretty ridiculous. Cause like everyone else got to yeah. 17. Right. 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 But, um, uh, I was like, well, I need some pussy before I go to college. And so I, I met up with Sarah right. one last time behind this gym where we played our games at. And, uh, I smashed her out there. And that was that. And then we went to Morehouse and um, we drove down there and um, linked up with uh, Marcus and we're moving into our room. And my mom starts crying and, you know, she's all proud and everything. And da 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 da. And uh, yeah, Morehouse was, that was easily, easily the best year of my life. You know, like I I did get clowned. Like they would, they would say my dad looked like Robert De Niro and stuff like that. But, um, it was whatever. And so we had a little click. So like, uh, Graves Hall was where all the, uh, honor students stayed. And so I had a, I had a full ride scholarship. Right. And the, the only thing wow. I needed help with was books. And so here's, here's a fucked up part. So I, I told my parents I had, I needed help paying, paying for books. And they said, you can take out the student loan to pay for books. Right. Fast forward, you know, um, six years. And my sister gets into Yale, right? I didn't know it until my sister Laura told me. That's that's Paul's daughter. And I had that case in the military. But um, Paul and my mother took out a second mortgage on the house to send her to Yale. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, so, yeah. Morehouse, uh, Atlanta in 1999, bro, like, um, yeah, it was fucking amazing, bro. Like I felt like for the first time in my life, like I actually belonged. you know, there, there, there was no, you talk yeah. white, there was no, your, your Oreo, because basically like, like the, like the Morehouses and the Howards are where all, you know, of the world to do black people, uh, send their kids. Yeah, so, you know? so, so, so they all sound yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, um, so we had a little click. Marcus was from Baltimore. I was from I was I was from Indiana. Uh, the homie Aaron, who, who we had met at uh, Washu in St. Louis, was from Chicago. And down the hall um, were uh, TJ and Jr. We had met TJ at the Washu thing, and this dude named Rob, who uh, stayed on the fourth floor, the light skinned dude, was also from LA. And uh, we just clicked up, and like we were like a little I don't want to say gang, but like that was. That was the crew, you know, and um, 
at the time down there, like they would send uh, shuttles to uh, to Clark and Morris Brown and Spellman. So like there was there was a parking lot shared by uh, Morehouse and um, Spellman, and they would send these big ass Greyhound type buses to bring us to the clubs and bring us back. And for a kid from Indiana who had been sheltered and all that shit, like man. I had I had some fucking fun, man. I had a I had a lot of fucking mm-hmm. fun, like like too much fun. Like I ended up losing my scholarship by point one four GPA points. And um, yeah, man. Like my like this is this this is kind of like this is kind of where things went south. I think. I mean, I would I would love to talk about Morehouse more, but I I guess for the sake of uh, brevity or whatever. So yeah, I you got it. We got it. You got to focus on pivotal events. Okay, okay, okay. So I lost my scholarship by point one four GPA points, so I had to come home and um Paul comes down to pick me up and the night before Rob left to go to LA, he told me about this group called Sun Village. We had we had found him on Napster and uh yeah. I I played it and I was just like in awe. I was fucking like like hypnotized all night just listening to it, you know, I was like, This is this is fucking amazing. But anyway, Paul Paul comes down He's mad as fuck because I lost my scholarship, you know, and he says, Thomas, you know, I don't know what's up with you and this hip-hop thing. Like, you're not going to make it to River. Like, he was just like, just, like, real dismissive of it, you know. Right. And then, you know, come to find later, you know, it, it's kind of my thing. I've been writing about it for over 10 years. But so we get back to South Bend, and uh, the house is all fucked up. Like, uh, they're just fighting all the time, fighting real, real bad, you know. And um, there were uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, one thing, one thing that 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 happened uh, in my formative years in South Bend is like things things got so bad that that uh, like my mom would get in my face and like try to uh, physically intimidate me. And I remember one time I stood up and. Uh, and Paul punched me in the stomach, you know. And um, we would go out to eat at like a Chili's or a Fridays, and she would just like antagonize me and antagonize me to the point where I would I would leave and start walking down the street, but I didn't have a way home, so I had to come back to the restaurant. But anyways, uh, I, I come back at the Morehouse, and the household was just fucked. Like they they've been fighting a whole lot, you know, and they mm-hmm. end up getting divorced. And um, the reason why. Paul says is because my mother was disloyal, like she was cheating on him, right? And uh, my mm-hmm. mother tells me um, the reason that they broke up and got divorced is because of me and all the stress I caused, right? Right. Like no yeah. bitch. Right, right, right. So um, I get kicked out of the house, and uh, Blair's sister, Meredith, she had a little house she was renting, and she said I could stay with her, right? And I'm still in, in, in touch with the uh, Trinity kids. And, like, one of the kids, Paul from my class, he had a full ride to George Washington in D.C. And basically did the same thing I did. He, he fucked off school right. and party. Fucked off. Know, yeah. It happens, man. It happens. <clears throat> right. And, uh, Shit, it almost happened um, to me. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, uh, like, like, my buddy Paul from Trinity – his dad had died um, his senior year, and there's a kid named Joe who was in the class beneath us who, who dropped out, 
and his dad died, right? And we had a friend in common who had died the summer before I went to Morehouse named Aaron Day, who uh, worked for Mr. Dix, who owned a painting company, and he died. He got um, electrocuted in a painting accident. He touched a power line at the ladder, right? And, and so... And so Joe was the one who got on the drugs early, right? He like he got on the drugs early, you know, and so I started to experiment, you know, like at Morehouse the most I did was, you know, like I might I might drink a Cisco and smoke some weed, you know. I like to drink, but it wasn't like I wasn't an alcoholic at Morehouse. I, it, it was just regular college drinking, you know. It it wasn't like a I need this for my life, I need to get drunk. It wasn't like a a compulsion like it became, you know, and so um so you have three people who are hurting, and uh, me, Paul, and Joe, and um, we start fucking around with uh, with drugs, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, there, there's this guy I worked with from uh, Trinity. Um, we ended up getting an apartment, and that apartment, you know, like we were just. Um, this was around the time when, uh, um, it's like you remember the site. Um, um, undergroundhiphop.com. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, I would, I would, I would go on there, and like, this was back in like the dial-up days, where like you had to wait for it to dial up, and yes, it would play like yes, a, yes. like a fucking, like a fucking uh, forty-five second snippet of a song on the site. Where, yeah. yeah. Dial-up yeah. modem. Right, right, right. So, um, I had an apartment, and um, it was it was mostly just drinking. You know, but but then pretty early early on, um, ecstasy got introduced, right? And so uh-huh. um, we're just drinking hella beer, just beer every fucking night. You know, sometimes we're doing ecstasy and shit like that, just just wilding out. You know, and if if I knew then what I knew now, you know, I wouldn't have done none of that shit. But that's what everybody says. But and and, and things right. just escalate. Things things escalate pretty quickly. You know, uh, oh, yeah. after ex- after ecstasy. We started doing acid, right? And I fucking loved. Oh acid. boy, I loved acid so much, man. You know, so like we would we would drink and we would do acid, and um, because I'm back home in South Bend, you know, like we start going to the Notre Dame college parties, right? And at that point, I have like a year's worth of dreads, you know, so I'm that exotic nigga, whatever, whatever, and and I'm I'm eating pretty good, you know, fucking these white chicks, whatever. And um, and then from the ecstasy and the acid, you know, um, pills are introduced, you know. So yeah. we're we're drinking and we're sniffing Ritalin and and uh, Adderall and things like that. Jeez. And yeah, yeah. And and so we're just just com- completely just off the rails, man. Just every fucking night, just everything. Me, Joe, Paul. And whoever else, like, we always had people over drinking and partying. I had the music up loud, you know, and we uh, got kicked out of that apartment. And uh, I was homeless. And at the same time, um, I'm I'm trying to go to take classes at uh, IE South Bend, you know, so I can stay in school and all that stuff. But I'm not really, you know, feeling it. And I'm homeless. And so I'm, I'm basically living out of my car. And... Uh, like a homeless derelict, and I ended up staying with my buddy Bobby from middle school, and then uh, we ended up partying there, and um, 
ecstasy, a lot, a lot more X. Uh, I tried cocaine for the first time. I didn't really like it the first time. I thought it was fucking lame. I thought it was overrated. Like I didn't, I didn't understand the big fucking deal, to be honest. And then um, that right before I went to DC, I got a DUI. So I had um, I had given some kids a ride home from a party. It was like five people in my car. I got everyone home safe. And on my way back to the party, there was a yellow light, right? And uh, yeah, I said, fuck it. And I hit a cab and I was driving a Volvo and like, and like Volvos are tanks, man. Like them shit's like, you you know, you can hit some shit with a Volvo and it'll break. And, um, you know, I hit the cab. My car was fine. It was, it was still running. I drive back to the party. I'll, I'll go back to the cave, get some beer and shit. And uh, someone says, there's, there's cops outside. So, um, I dip out and I'm running through backyards and shit. And finally, I'm just like, man, you know what? It's not even worth, you know, the time. Right. So I just give myself up, you know, I do a night in jail. The car gets impounded and, um, uh, staying up bodies, you know, drinking and doing drugs. Um, remember, um, many things. Yeah. Those caffeine pills. Yeah. Like we would, we would, uh, crush those up and sniff them. And just fucking just just drink and yeah man we were just just fucking crazy man and um, so uh, they had gotten a good lawyer for me and they basically got it reduced to something I I can't remember what it was and uh, I go out to D.C. and they're living in Rockville Maryland this is 2000 I believe or maybe two yeah. they still together at this point yeah yeah they're still together and. Uh, they're in Rockville, and um, the house is, is as fucked up as ever. Just real, real toxic environment. And um, I remember uh, just kind of exploring the city, you know, like when I first got there. And uh, I met this. So there's this place called Yogi Records on um, 18th Street. And every Thursday, they would have dudes come in, DJ. And dudes freestyling stuff, and you know me being the hip hop head at the time, I was I was drawn to it, and I met this kid named Artemis who went to Howard, and um, I got kicked out probably two three weeks into getting to DC, and um, I uh, let's see, there's this guy. I had met outside of um, Yogi's. I think I brought him a cigarette. He worked at this place called uh, Roomba Cafe. He worked uh, security at the door. And um, Mm -hmm. he said, hey, man, if you ever need anything, here's my number. And I still had his number. And so I told him what happened. He said, all right, you know, um, you can stay with me. And so I stayed with him. And uh, he was moving to Germany in, in like a week. So I had to hurry up and find a job and find somewhere else to stay. So I, I found a job at this barbecue restaurant in Georgetown called Old Glory. And uh, for me to actually uh, be able to work, I needed my birth certificate, right? And so who has my birth certificate? My parents. I call them and I say, hey, I need my birth certificate. You know, can I please come get it? Can you send it to me so I can work and, and not be on the streets? And they basically right. send you me don't have off. Yeah. They told me no. They told me no. <laughs> like that's that's pretty fucking evil, man. Like, 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Stars, um, nigga. Yeah. Yeah. So they, um, they told me no. And, uh, Michael, he, uh, he called state of Washington and he got one, um, sent for me and I start working there and I see Artemis at a, at Yogi's and I told him the you know, situation and he's like, all right, you can come stay with us. You know, I live by Howard. And he's like, I'm warning you though. There's someone in the house that's, uh, that's kind of famous and, and I don't want you to flip out. And I'm like, who? He's like, uh, do you watch Roll Rules? And I was like, yeah. He's like, do you know that girl, um, Ayana? I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember her. And so I, I get there and, um, I meet her and it's a trip because like I I've seen her on TV and all that shit. It's a it's tricks from old rules. She was she, she was fucking crazy, bro. Like she was, yeah. But I'm so I'm in there in this house with these Howard kids. Um, Artemis rapped, uh, Cliff rapped, and they were heavy in the um, DC <clears throat> battle scene, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would I would go to battles with them and stuff like that, and uh, that was that was real cool, man. Yeah, just like just like seeing the whole scene and stuff, and I would go to different uh, hip hop functions and stuff like that. I just got really even more immersed in the culture uh, than I was at Morehouse. Because at Morehouse, we had actually tried to start a uh, Atlanta chapter of uh, Project Globe, but like it didn't really um, right pop off because like the attendance was was whack. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm. Uh, where do we go from here? What time is it, man? Well, we got like 13 minutes left on this call. So, um, when was the first time you fell off the rail? Or what was the first time you got smacked by life? Smacked by life? Yeah. Uh, Huh. That's a tough one because um, it's pretty much, now that I think about it, most of my 20s, with the exception of the military, um, I was very unstable. You know, I had trouble, um, you know, uh, finding a place to live. I was I was homeless a decent amount couch surfing and stuff like that. Um, damn. So, like, by smack my life, what do you mean? Well, you have a, a, a whole bunch of... What, what we're trying to do is tell a story, so we need some pivotal moments. Um, you're giving me a gradual descent and a chronicle, but remember, we have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We've right. kind of fleshed out the rock bottom. We've seen the mm-hmm. beginning. When does it start to go off the rails? When, you know, okay, so what what leads you to joining the military? Okay. Um, I was 26. Um, I was living in a shack in, in somebody's backyard. I was drinking and smoking crack every day and I wanted to get away from what I was doing. And how'd you end up, how'd you end up becoming an addict? 
Like was there uh, was there some was there a touching a touch off incident or is it just the touch off incident right. is that year in South Bend after Morehouse. That's that's when everything okay went off the fucking rails. Yeah. Um, but everything, you know, it, everything was gradual, man, and it, it got progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. I, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, I can say that around 22, from DC, I tried cocaine again, and I really fucking liked it. I really liked it a lot, a lot, a lot. And it went from a um, like a once a week thing to twice a week to three four days a week to just not being able to function to smoking crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the military. Okay. Oh, all right. So, um, I was uh, living in a shack in Tampa, Florida, and um, yep. I went to the recruiter's office to to find some sort of way to get out of the situation I was in. And um, he had me take a uh, piss test, and I told him, you know, I I've done some shit. And he said, Well, let's let's wait a couple of days till your piss is clean. And it took me about two weeks to have clean piss because I kept using. And I went and took the ASVAB, standardized test array, or whatever. I scored a 95 on that, and that opened up a lot of shit for me. And he said, if you uh, become a motorized transportation ops, that's truck driver, you get a $24,000 bonus. So I was like, okay, let's do that. And um, I went to uh, METS and Tampa, and I shipped out to uh, Fort Phil, Oklahoma for basic. In uh, 2006. So, and um, basic training, probably up there with, with one of the hardest things I ever did. I mean, looking back on it now, like if you know what to expect, it's not hard before I was at, you know, uh, physically and mentally when I graduated. It's, it, it was one of the proudest days of my life, but it was fucking hard, man. Um, there was definitely, um, a sense, there's a lot of, uh, there are people from all walks of life. There was a lot of camaraderie and stuff. And, um, you know, I got, I got really into it. Like I, I put on a bunch of weight. I, I'd seen, um, what really got me like heavy into it was like, I'd watched those, uh, those Jason Bourne films. You know, yeah. and I and I I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be like that, and and so um, after basic training, I went to AIT at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and um, from there I volunteered for Airborne School. Now, Airborne School is when you finally have some freedom again, and um, I started to drink and use again, and. Um, I graduated airborne school. On my last jump, um, I was high off of ecstasy. Oh boy! And, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And um, from there, I went to Ranger Battalion. And um, after the first week, I decided it wasn't for me. Like, there wasn't any other black people there. I was falling back into old drinking and using patterns. And they had a unit in D.C. for guys who were six feet or taller called the Old Guard. That's like the ceremonial stuff. And I wanted to go back home. And so I managed a way to get stationed out there. And, um, mm-hmm. yep, was, was was back in my own stomping grounds with all my coke buddies and all my dealers and stuff like that. And uh, I basically washed out in about 11 months. Um, I went AWOL for a month. Um, I had gotten in trouble for drinking. I, I think 26 is the age where, for me, my, my body couldn't process it, alcohol the way it used to, right? And so I would show uh-huh. up for formation at 6, and, and people would smell it on me. Someone would tell first sergeant, and then the commander, and then I'd have to go to the fucking MPs and take a breathalyzer. Got popped two, three times doing that. Got put on extra duty and barracks restriction. Couldn't leave. I left anyways, went out, drank and used, and I just basically, basically didn't didn't give a fuck. And uh, got kicked out uh, with a general under honorable conditions, and I had nowhere to go, and so I called an old classmate of mine from Trinity, and uh, I went back to South Bend, and I uh, was there for maybe six months, you know, uh, was full-blown attic mode, at that point, and um, yeah, I had a roommate who was on message boards a lot, and uh, he knew somebody who had a exotic animal park in Oklahoma who was looking for people, and I was behind on rent, and uh, I said, fuck it, I'll do it, and I left, and I lived in Oklahoma for a while, taking care of uh, tigers and bears and alligators and all sorts of shit, and uh yeah, yeah, did that for a while. Um, moved to Montana. After that, I had a buddy of mine from D.C. We used to work at Dave & Buster's together um, who lived up there. And um, I was at a, um No, I actually met uh, Monica and them at a town called uh, Livingston. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it was like a real-life South Park, uh, once again. Only black guy. Um, just drank a lot, mm-hmm. got fucked up a lot, and I was at a bar, and there was an army recruiter there for the National Guard. Gave him my name and social. He came back the next day and just hounded me like, "Hey man, you got a '95 on the ASVAB, you got airborne wings that uh, will take you," you know. So uh, got another Montana National Guard, and um, that was okay. Um, that was okay, I guess. You know, I had some other stuff going on mentally. You know, there were there were some things that went down when I was using that really, really fucked my head up and, and had me confused about myself, you know, for a long, long time. You know, so I don't know how much time you have left in the call. But... Uh, we got like five minutes left, but well, actually three minutes left. <clears throat> the call oh. goes to uh, 11, but we can pick it up later. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's a that's a good place to stop. So we stopped at airborne, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, not airborne. We stopped at uh, the second, the National Guard, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 make that a stopping point. And uh what'd you call it? Uh text me or send me an email I can send this to and I can send you a file of the MP three and you can review it and see, you know, which parts you really wanna talk about and, and, and structure into a story. Okay. Okay, so like, are you are you thinking um, we'll do it like interview style or something like that? Because I don't like if I just sit down and try and write it, I don't think it's going to be full full book length because I'll forget a lot of shit. No, that, but that's why we have these. That's why we have this recorded so you can refer to those. Oh. Okay. You can't forget what exists, yeah. <laughs> Right, 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 but like, but like, we skipped over some stuff, man. Like that, you know. Like, I understand we're trying to do like. That's all right. Uh, we can revisit it. We can revisit it, but we have to stay focused on what kind of story we're gonna tell. So, okay. you, you identify any pivotal moments. You can you can review this tape while you're doing whatever, and say, oh, okay, I forgot this, or here, I forgot that, and then you write. You know, you write. Okay, well. During this time, blah 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 blah, and you can use that way to catch the missing points, and that way it'll already be the missing points will already be written. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, that's that's cool. But um, can we still so do the whole like interview type type yeah. thing, or or what? What? So this We're conversation. Is a framework. It right. it allows you to identify points. Yeah. And you collect which points you think would would tell a, a compelling story. We're not finished. Okay. So, you know, you got four hours of conversation here. I mean two hours of conversation here. Um you know how you wanna stop how how you wanna start it. You know, you you know that you want to start it at rock bottom, so that's a good thing. Yeah. You want to pick, pick what time. You know, so there I was in an Amtrak train with a crew of fucking junkies chasing me, trying to end my life, and a security guard telling me to get the fuck out of the station. And so hurriedly I ran. And I was so zonked out of my mind. I, I, I saw a car that looked like mine. It, wasn't, mm-hmm. it turned out it wasn't even mine. And I spent a half hour with my fucking key trying to get into this car that wasn't even mine. And here I am in fucking Whitelandia, Portland, Oregon. And someone calls the police. And so my six foot two or three or whatever fucking tall you are black ass is trying to get into a car that isn't mine when the police show up. Stop me if you heard this story before. <laughs> and yet, you know, you know, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? Because see, we're gonna we're gonna stop it there. Because that when you when you get to that point it's like, oh sure, we've seen this shit before. The cops probably bodied this nigga. Uh so you stop it there, and then you go back and tell the story of how you got here. And then 
you come back like a boomerang to that instant. Yeah. It's a left hook. Because the cops didn't end you. They sent you. And 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 you ended up, you know, trying to save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and you might you might not even include the second bender. You might just go straight to the rehab or your your search for redemption. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I gotta get out of here. But um I hope right, you wanna do it next time there at the same time? Uh, yeah, that'll be fine. Hello? Alright, so so send me send me uh whatever contact email you want and I'll send you the link and you can review it as you wish. Okay, sounds good, man. All right, cousin. Later. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. next Sunday? Yeah. At 6, you want to do it earlier? Same time, same channel. Okay, sounds good, bro. Later. All right, later.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.